0: My name is Rick Renner and I'm at the Temple of Dionysus in Upper Pergamum right by the theater. The Temple of Dionysus was very connected to the theater and terrible things happened in this building. You can see it was quite an important temple. You can tell that by the decorations on the columns. In this place there was all kinds of dark demonic activities and Christians generally would never walk into one of these facilities because they didn't condone the practices that took place here. This was very dark and very demonic. It was not a place for believers. But in the church at Pergamum, there was a particular group of leaders who were trying to get believers to compromise with the world. They were saying, hey, Life for us is tough because we live such separate lives. Rather than refrain from society, why don't we compromise with our pagan neighbors and go into the temples every once in a while, or go to the theater, or go to the bathhouses? Why do we have to live such strict, separate lives? And they begin to teach a doctrine of compromise. And Jesus referred to these people as Nicolaitans. And Jesus felt very strongly about their detrimental teaching, so strongly that in Revelation chapter 2, verse 16, 15. Jesus said he hated their deeds and their doctrine. That word hate, the Greek word miseo, which describes a repulsion so severe, you loathe something or you reject it. Jesus loathed their teaching. He was repulsed by their teaching because Jesus knew when believers compromise their walk, when they no longer walk in holiness, they begin to lose the power of God. The fruit of the Spirit disappears, the gifts of the Spirit disappears, compromise destroys the church. God calls on us to walk according to the Word regardless of what our neighbors or society thinks. We're called to a higher standard and that's the standard that you're called to walk by according to the Word of God, not the principles of society or social media. You're called to walk by
1: a higher standard and that is what I'm gonna talk to you about today. Stay tuned for a teaching you can trust, a message that will inspire, strengthen, and equip you with vital insights and understanding from the Word of God. Here is Rick. I'm so glad you've joined
0: me for the program. And as I told you in the introduction today, we're going to be looking at a damnable doctrine that was beginning to work its way into the church in Pergamum. And we need to really pay attention because this same damnable doctrine is trying to work its way into the church today. And it is amazing how fast it is growing inside the church, but particularly We're going to be looking at Balaam and his doctrine because that is the foundation for what Jesus later says about the Nicolaitans. That's where we're going today. But before we get started, if you need prayer, we're here for you. We would love for you to call to let us know how to pray for you. We are people of prayer. We pray for our partners. We pray for those who call. And we would love to pray for you. And if you have no one else to pray with you, we are here for you. So contact us. With the information that's on the screen, we're waiting for you. And I want to tell you that we're offering you my series, a 10-part series, called Christ's Message to Pergamum. It's a 10-part series based on these programs, and it is wonderful. These programs have been so rich as we have really... Dove into the scriptures in Revelation chapter 2, Christ's message to Pergamum. And in this series, it has all the points, the principles, the video, the photos, everything. It is just amazing. And it comes with a study guide. I love the study guide because it is so complete. The study guide has all the Greek words which you've been seeing in the programs and so much more. It is just awesome. You would use this personally. You could use it with a friend that you're trying to disciple, and I hope that you are discipling somebody, or you could use it in a Bible study group. It is just wonderful. We're also offering you my book called No Room for Compromise. It's a big book. It's more than 400 pages, and every single page in this book is full color. I wish I could just bring you here right now and open it for you because it is such a treasure. I say it's a treasure because I think it's a treasure. You know, I've written a lot of books, a lot of books. I forget how many, but it's a lot. But when I wrote this particular series, I decided to write it the way that I think a book should be written. I wanted it to have lots of pictures and illustrations, full color, so that we could really illustrate the Word of God to people who read it. So I took my team of photographers, my video crew, and researchers, we all went to Turkey over and over and over to the sites of the seven churches. Did a lot of original research, worked with scholars, tour guides, and we put all of that information into these books. And this book, No Room for Compromise, I'm telling you, it really is a resource. It is a treasure. And look at it. It is just filled with the most beautiful photography it's not just information, it's visual information. It will really make the Bible come alive for you. Now, I seriously doubt that you're going to sit down and read it from cover to cover. Maybe you will, but most people use it as a coffee table book and they refer to it over and over. Their grandchildren look at it, their children look at it, their guests look at it because it is so enjoyable to look through and It will make the New Testament come alive for you. Now today I'm going to be reading from this book because as we speak about Balaam, I did a lot of writing about Balaam and I can't do better than what I wrote. So I'm just going to read it to you today and I believe it's going to make a difference for you in your understanding of who was Balaam and who was his doctrine and what did he have to do with what Jesus called the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. But today we're going to jump right back into Revelation chapter 2, and I'm referring to my notes, and we're going to begin in verse 14. If you haven't seen the previous programs, please go to the archives. You need to see every one of these programs. But today we're beginning in verse 14, where Jesus says to the church of Pergamum, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. We briefly covered this in the last program, but I feel the need to review it very quickly. Notice Jesus says, I have a few things against thee. These words, I have, in Greek is the word echo, and the word echo means I have or I. I hold, but as they are used here, it describes something that a person feels very deeply or very personally. It means Christ was personally disturbed by what he was about to describe. He was so disturbed by it that he says, echo, I have it. I feel it. I hold it. This is very near. It's very dear to me. What I'm about to describe is something I hold closely. I really feel this. Wow, these are very strong words in the Greek text. It emphatically means Christ was personally disturbed by the false doctrine that was being promoted by some inside the church at Pergamum. A seduction on the inside was taking place, and this was disastrous. After the church had withstood wave after wave of persecution successfully, Now from the inside, the devil has launched an attack against the church with error, doctrinal error, seduction from the inside. And this was very difficult for the church because it was difficult for them to resist the leaders. They loved these leaders. These erring leaders had been with them from the beginning. They were loved. They were esteemed, but now they had gotten off track and it was difficult for the church to stand against those that they loved. And this is also a problem for you and me in this day when we know some leaders are going off track and we try to dismiss it. We say, well, we know that their intentions are good. We love them. They've been with us a long time. They come from a good family and we try to dismiss it because we don't want to stand against those that we love. It's very difficult to resist erring leaders that have been with us a long time, and that are greatly esteemed. And that was the problem for the church in Pergamum, and it's still our problem today. But if the wayward leaders in Pergamum were not stopped, Jesus knew that their teaching would eventually begin to spread throughout the entire church, and that would have a catastrophic result for the church. And by using the word, I have, the Greek word echo, Jesus was alerting to them and to us that when leaders get off track in their doctrine, Jesus takes this very personally. This word echo means I have, I hold it, I feel it. This is very near to me. So Jesus now is expressing something very strong. And then Jesus makes this important statement. He says, I have a few things Against them. few things is really not a good translation. It's the Greek word oliga. The word oliga describes something small in number. And that was important in this context, and it's still important for us today. Something small in number. And here Jesus was describing how many leaders had gotten off track. It wasn't everybody. It was just oliga. It was a few. But unfortunately, it was a very notable few. Now let me say this. Most infections begin at a very small microscopic level, almost undetectable. But if you catch it when it's small, it can be easily treated, you can stop its infection. However, if you don't deal with it when it's small, that infection will begin to grow out of control and eventually it will pass into the entire body, until the whole body is sickened by an infection that could have been easily treated if it had been caught, when it was small. That's the idea in this verse. Jesus says, right now, the problem is oligarch. It's not huge. It's small. It's easily treatable. And that is why Jesus was calling on the church to deal with it and to deal with it urgently. If left untreated, the infection, the spiritual infection, would grow out of control and ultimately it would sicken the entire church. And although the numbers of these erring leaders were small, it was beginning to multiply like an infectious disease. So Jesus was calling for the congregation to stop the spread of this infectious teaching. Wow, this is such strong teaching. But Jesus goes on to say, I have a few things against thee. The word against is also very important. We didn't cover this in the last program. The word against is the Greek word kata. The word kata is a very forceful word which describes a downward motion. And here it carries the idea of domination or subjugation. And Jesus is actually saying to the church and to the erring leaders, if you don't repent, if you don't deal with this correctly, if you don't self-correct, then I will deal with you. Kata, I will come against you. I'll dominate you. I will subjugate you. Which tells us Jesus does not tolerate those who propagate false doctrine inside the church. Jesus says, "Cata, it is a strike against you, and if you won't deal with it, I will deal with you. If repentance wasn't forthcoming, Christ would conquer the situation by extracting these erring leaders from their influential positions. That is the warning which Christ was offering to the church. And this appears also shows us why Jesus appears in Revelation chapter 2 with a sharp sword with two edges. Jesus was ready to surgically extract those that would not repent. He loved them, but He would not allow them to pollute and defile the whole church. And if they were not willing to submit to His authority and self-correct, then Jesus had the sharp sword with two edges, and Jesus would extract them. He was coming with a sword, not to wound but to heal and to cleanse. This is so very important in this day when Jesus is still extracting erring leaders. But the Bible tells us in Revelation 2:14, "I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam." The word hold is the Greek word kratos. However, it is the plural present active participle, which means it described a powerful grip that they continually refused to let go. And the only reason this word would be used is because Christ has already told them to let it go, and they have not. Christ has already corrected them. And that is like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit corrects us personally. Then He corrects us through our friends. He corrects us through voices that are around us. He corrects us through the Word. The Holy Spirit is all the time trying to keep us on track. And apparently, Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit had tried to correct these leaders. And the Bible says, rather than repenting and letting it go, they held on to the doctrine of Balaam. They refused to let it go. They refused to surrender it. They refused to bend to the authority of Christ and decided they were going to go with the way that they were going. Just a decision. This is what we're doing. We're modifying the faith. We're becoming more accommodating to the pagan world around us. This is what we're going to do. It's what we need to do. So they rejected the voice of Christ and held tightly, refusing to let go of what Christ had already corrected. And the Bible says they held fast too. look at verse 14, the doctrine of Balaam. The word doctrine is the Greek word didache. The word didache is the old Greek word for teaching and not just teaching, but how to apply the teaching. And in fact, it was the same word used to describe a masterful teacher. Listen carefully because this has a lot to do with Balaam. A masterful teacher who would teach his knowledge to an apprentice And not just teach it, but he would show the apprentice how to put the teaching into action, how to make it real in life. So he would give him the information and then would tell him how to put that information into practice. So when the Bible talks about the doctrine of Balaam, Balaam gave information you're going to see to King Balak, but he didn't just give him a lesson. Then he told King Balak how to apply it to destroy God's people. Wow, this is amazing. However, who was Balaam? Because Revelation 2.14 says they were holding to the doctrine of Balaam. Well, what we know about Balaam comes from the Bible and from outside sources. And it is amazing that Balaam was so well known that even pagans and unbelievers wrote about Balaam. In fact, uh, pagans wrote more about Balaam than they wrote about Moses. Balaam was very renowned in his time. But the first mention of him is in Numbers chapter 22, just a very brief mention, verse 5, when the Bible says that King Balak sent messengers unto Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is by the river of the land. Now, what do we know about Balaam? And I'm going to read to you right from my book because it's so important. First of all, let's look at the etymology of the name Balaam. There are three ideas about the name Balaam, and all three of them may be correct. A combination of them tells us a lot about Balaam. I think you're going to find this interesting. A group of scholars suggest the name Balaam is a component of the words Bil and Am. The word Bil refers to the god Baal, and the word Am means kinship or relationship. This portrayed the inseparable relationship between Balaam and the god Baal. In this event, the name Balaam would actually mean, Baal is my kinsman. This means that Balaam was not a prophet of God. He was a prophet of Baal. I know that many people teach that he was just a wayward prophet of God. He was not a prophet of God. He was a witch. I'm going to show it to you in the scripture today. Another group of scholars suggests that the name Balaam is a derivative of blee and "om." Um. In this case, the word blee means without a people. That's interesting. In this case, it explains why scholars cannot nail down Balaam's national identity. This portrays him almost as a mystery man whose national roots are not known. This would mean Balaam was a man without a people, or perhaps even that he was a loner. And I think that's probably the idea. Third, a final group of scholars suggest the name Balaam is from an ancient root meaning to swallow or to destroy. If this is true, the name Balaam not only was a name, but may have been a title that reflected his reputation for supernatural abilities to swallow and to devour and to bring devastating ruin upon those whom he opposed. And when you put all three of these concepts together collectively, it suggests that Balaam was a devout follower of Baal, that he was a man of mysterious origin, who possessed a widespread reputation that he could swallow his enemies. All of that together is what we know about the etymology of the name Balaam, and it tells us a lot about Balaam. But what else do we know about Balaam? I'm going to read to you directly from my book. The bulk of what we know about Balaam comes from ancient Jewish commentaries written by Jewish scholars in the city of Alexandria. Alexandria, Egypt, was loaded with Jewish scholars, Jewish intellectuals. And from their writings, we are able to ascertain a lot about Balaam. For example, they tell us that Balaam was a witch. They tell us that he was very wicked. In fact, they call him the wicked one. But listen to this. Philo, one of the leading intellectuals of Alexandria, wrote that Balaam, now listen to these words, I'm quoting exactly, was a man renowned above all men for his skill as a diviner and prophet who foretold to the various nations important events, abundance and rain or droughts and famines, inundations or pestilence. He says that he was a diviner. Those intellectuals in Alexandria lived in Alexandria, it was Cleopatra's Alexandria. They saw witchcraft all the time. They saw occult practices and occult rituals. They knew everything about Egyptian witchcraft. So, for them to call Balaam a diviner was very important. They would not have misused this word. They understood that Balaam was a witch. And the most famous Jewish historian of all was Josephus. Josephus wrote that Balaam was among The greatest of the prophets at that time, a remarkable statement since Balaam lived concurrently with Moses. Moses was an instrument of the power of God. Balaam was an instrument of the powers of darkness. And the use of the word prophet in both the writings of Philo and Josephus should not be misunderstood. This word was used at that particular time in history to denote one who was able to foresee the future. Even pagans used the word prophet to denote anyone who was a vocal instrument for the spirit realm. And in fact, other names for a diviner could include foretellers, seers, soothsayers, Consulters of familiar spirits, enchanters, necromancers, wizards, witches, voices through which the spirit realm spoke, including mediums and clairvoyants. That's what the word diviner means. So when the Bible tells us that Balaam was a diviner, and that's what the Bible explicitly tells us in the Book of Numbers, chapter twenty-two, verse seven, it says he was a diviner. It means he was a witch. He was a medium. He was a clairvoyant. We know from the name Balaam that he was connected to the god Baal. He was not a prophet of God. He was a false pagan prophet. However, it seemed that he had the ability to discern when judgment was going to come to a people or to a nation. He had the uncanny ability to sense that. We're told that in the Jewish Talmud. The Jewish Talmud tells us that he had an act. For understanding when divine principles had been violated, and he knew that if divine principles had been violated, then judgment was going to come. And when he saw that something had been violated spiritually, he would seize the opportunity to speak a curse. And then the judgment would come. Not because he spoke the curse, but because he knew that a principle had been violated, but he seized the opportunity to promote himself as a great curser with great supernatural abilities. Then when the curse of God would come on a people for disobedience, he would claim that it was because of his words. He was a phony. He was a charlatan. And there's no biblical evidence that he had any power to curse or any power to bless. He was just a charlatan. He was a fraud connected to the god Baal. He was a loner. This was an amazing man. And he sees an opportunity to make a lot of money from King Balak. And we're out of time, and we're just getting started, and this is so good. But when we come back, we're going to pick up right here. But I want to tell you, the devil has no powers against you. You're going to find out, Balaam could not curse the people of God, and the devil cannot curse you. I'll be back in just a moment, and I'm going
1: to pray for you. Explore the Bible and the first century church with Rick Renner's book, No Room for Compromise. In this masterful hardback Bible study, Rick transports you to the first century and the life of the early church, exploring the relevance of Jesus' end-time message to the church of Pergamum then, and how that end-time message is relevant today. On every page, Rick reveals the larger context of the book of Revelation and his appearance to the Apostle John, taking you on a journey through the first three centuries of Christian opposition within a pagan world. You'll be amazed to see how the early church thrived through the light, life, and power of Jesus Christ. This beautifully bound 400-page book can be yours for $80. Features on-location photography, added artwork, and historical illustrations that enhance the in-depth teaching. When you call or go online today, you can also get the 10-part teaching series, Christ's Message to the Church in Pergamum. As one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the church in Pergamum was a light of faith in the pagan darkness. In this series, you'll see how Jesus' message of holding on to faith is just as relevant today as it was in the first century. Available in digital or physical formats, starting at just $20. Don't miss this special offer, no room for compromise, and Christ's message to the church in Pergamum. Call now or go to renner.org to order.
2: My name is Joel Renner, coming to you from our Moscow TV studio. And I wanted to say thank you to all of our ministry supporters because of your support that we can do our work, reaching out to the forgotten people. One of our primary works in Moscow is reaching out to the outcasts of society. Shut-ins, the homeless, the mentally ill, the orphaned, the disabled, street kids, and the incarcerated. But thanks to the support of our partners, we are reaching these precious souls and ministering God's love to them. We tell them that Jesus loves them and we give them the gospel. But we also express care by meeting some of their basic needs. Our ministry is involved with each one of these outreaches where we demonstrate care in ways that words alone can never do. This is all possible due to the support of our partners. But there are so many more that still need our help. So many more people battling hunger, poverty, mental illness, so many more orphans and children with special needs that need our help. Would you consider joining us as partners today? Your gifts can lift more people up that society has forgotten. We can't do this work without your financial support. When you give, we are able to take the gospel both to our nearby world and to the ends of the earth. We all have a part to play. Right from your home, right now, you can help us help others by becoming our partner in the work by supporting our work financially. Please call or go online to renner.org to give. Through your support, we can continue to make a huge difference in people. Lives.
0: Today, as we've studied, we've seen how important doctrine and the teaching of the Bible is to Jesus. Jesus said to the Pergamene church, I have some things against you, and he was about to describe them erring from the truth. And Jesus says, I have it. The Greek word echo, I hold, I have it, I feel it. This is something that personally deeply disturbs me. And here Jesus was expressing his own sentiments about people who err from the truth. Truth is very important. It doesn't matter what society is doing. Society can fluctuate and go in a million different directions. The truth is truth and truth never changes. And God expects us to stick with the truth. And when we err from the truth, Jesus says, I have the Greek word echo. I feel this. I hold this very deeply. I feel this very personally. We need to stick with the truth, especially in this time when it seems people are going doctrinally and spiritually in so many different directions. Let the Bible be your anchor. But I want to remind you that today I'm offering you my book called No Room for Compromise. And we're also offering you my series called Christ's Message to Pergamum. Order both of these. I believe that you'll be glad you did. But I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for the opportunity to sit down with my friend today to open the Bible, to study the Scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that we can stay on track with truth. And we thank you there is no divination, there is no enchantment, there is no sorcery that is effective against the people of God. I speak freedom to you from delusional thinking that the devil has any authority over you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Thank you for being with me. Remember Ecclesiastes 8.4. It says, where the word of a king is, there's power. Let God's wonderful word release its power in your life today. And I'll see you in the next program.
1: Thank you for joining Rick Renner today. For more information about Renner Ministries and product resources, visit renner.org and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.